Blog Talk Radio. everyone, and welcome to the show. This is your host, Bernice Bennett, and joining me today is Barbara Ricard Landix. Barbara Ricard Landix is a native of New Orleans and a recently inducted member into the Pleasant Run chapter of the National Society of the Daughters of the American Revolution of Texas, DAR. Barbara will share her journey to become a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution based upon her seventh-generation grandfather, Pierre Belly. Barbara is a charter member of the Louisiana Creole Association Incorporated, known as La Creole, that was founded on August 21, 2004, as a New Orleans-based non family research, and educational organization. So let me give a warm welcome to my genie friend, my love, my great friend, Barbara <laughs> Ricard-Landix. Welcome, Barbara. Well, thank you, Bernice. Yes, and we are dear close friends. And I really am just honored to participate on your show today to share Uh, my journey, both through genealogy, but in particular, what led to my membership in the Daughters of the American Revolution. Well, Barbara, you know, I have known about this. I've called you, are you in, are you in? I wanted to know what was going (laughs) on. Do you have the documentation? So let's start at your beginning. You know, all family historians and genealogists have some kind of story. So what stimulated your interest in tracing your ancestry? Well, you know, that's a great question, and I actually pondered that a little as I was thinking about this show. And it took me way back. Um, My first, I'm going to call it significant event or emotional event that even focused me on family was during my childhood. I was actually uh, in grade school at McCarty Elementary School, John McCarty Elementary School in the Lower Ninth Ward of New Orleans, and I um, was in a brownie troop. School had been invited to participate in another school's parade. Of course, you know, New Orleans, there's got to be a parade. And um, 
the school happened to be named F.P. Rickard, Fontanaeus P. Rickard School. And as a child, I wasn't aware of the school until my participation in the parade, but my teacher pulled me out the group, the troop, and I was selected to help carry our school banner. So that indicated to me at that point that there was something special, that I was special, that my name was special. Not knowing any history or any of that, I would say that was one of my very first experiences that focused me on family and the importance of family or wanting to know more about family. And then uh, the second event, I was also probably a little older, but still in grade school. And I had this little snippet of a memory, and snippets are important because they're clues, that um, there was a newspaper article and a picture of a woman. I believe the newspaper, although I can't be certain, was the Louisiana Weekly, which was the black newspaper during the 40s and 50s and 60s and so forth. Uh, And this article talked about this woman, and it mentioned that her family, her family history, they were free people of color. And for some reason, that, even though I didn't understand what that meant at that time, that resonated with me, and I just found that in my brain. So fast forward many, many moons <laughs> ahead, um, I um, really, like everyone else, developed an insatiable curiosity to learn more about who my family uh, was with the TV miniseries Roots. But I still had not begun any kind of research. And then... Um, What happened next was that, um, I think it would have been in the early 2000s, I was working as executive director of a nonprofit agency in Dallas, um, Texas, and had been contacted by a wealthy donor who wanted to make a substantial contribution to my agency. And I um, attended this event. It was me, another staff person, and I believe a board member. Well, my staff person came over to me and told me that she wanted to introduce me to uh, a gentleman who said he was from Baton Rouge. With the knowledge that I was a native New Orleanian, she wanted us to connect. So she and I made our way through this dense crowd of people, and and I came uh, upon this young man who whose ethnicity was a little bit ambiguous, but if you're from Louisiana, you know, you kind of know, oh, this is somebody that, you know, is part of my group. And um, so I was introduced to him, and his name was Leroy. Well, just like any good Louisianian, my first thought was, well, you know, who's your mom and dad? Are you Catholic, and can you make a roof? But seriously, (laughs) what I... (laughs) What I did do was to ask him, well, what is your last name? And he responded, Harlow. Well, that really kind of took me back because Harlow 
was my maternal grandmother's maiden name. So my response to him was to actually spell out the name, H-A-R-L-E-A-U-X. And he responded, yes. And we were both rather stunned. And so we proceeded to try and untangle this inevitable web of connection that we had, but we just couldn't do it. And we threw out names and tried to figure it out. But we knew that there was a connection because that is not a common name. It's a name that's more familiar in New Orleans, in Point Coupe Parish, in West Baton Rouge, in Baton Rouge Parish, in Iberville, in those, that part of uh, South Louisiana. So um, he said to me, well, do you know Ingrid Stanley, Ingrid Rogers Stanley? And I said, yes, she's my cousin. And so he said to me, well, she's doing um, a newsletter, an electronic newsletter for a a genealogy organization called Shares, and I'll forward you the link. And he did that a couple of days later. I contacted Ingrid, and that's where my genealogy journey began. Isn't it amazing how one contact with your, at this point, Harlow cousin, you weren't quite sure where the connection led you to really move forward to find your uh, your family. So let's it talk really, about your family. Okay. Okay, so you are a Ricard. And I'm aware of research that the late Ulysses Rickard and uh, Dr. Gwendolyn Mitlow-Hall has done. So can you give us an idea of what role did their research play with you in your research? Oh, my goodness. Uh, It was huge. Uh, First of all, as I mentioned, I connected, reconnected, with my cousin Ingrid, we hadn't really seen one another since our college days because she had moved, married and moved to Florida. I had married and moved to Texas, where I now live. Um, but Ingrid really opened the door for me. Um, she invited me to attend one of uh, La Creole's, not La Creole, Shares conferences. I started going there to their conference. I think I attended two of them. And she and I started sharing information. And she was the one that made me aware of the research that Ulysses, the scholarly research that Ulysses Rickard had done. Uh, It's my understanding that Dr. Gwendolyn Midlow Hall uh, was doing research on her husband's family. And identified all these old documents that exist in all of these uh, parish courthouses throughout Louisiana and realized how important they were, but they were, you know, rotting away. And uh, she got a grant from the National uh, Foundation for Humanities and put together a team that went around the state of Louisiana translating documents from French, Spanish, Creole, and created these two databases. And um, one was the free people of color. The other was people who enslaved people during um, a certain time frame. 
And that um, database enabled many of us to locate our ancestors and, um, you know, from really colonial times, from the Spanish colonial period uh, in Louisiana. And then uh, Ulysses was part of her team. He, I believe, spoke French or taught French. He was an academician, taught French, Spanish, and I believe Creole. And he was one of the people that went around with her as part of her team to translate these documents. And that spurred him, while he was in graduate school, I believe at LSU, to uh, in Baton Rouge, to do research on the Rickard family. And then he published some of this research, and my cousin Ingrid shared that information with me. And that really catapulted me and others uh, who are descendants of one of uh, my my ancestor Pierre Belly, the Patriot, one of his daughters, that catapulted us forward because he did the groundwork that gave us the, the uh, core information that we needed to go forward. So their, their efforts, their work was just hugely significant and um, in concrete terms in helping descendants of Pierre Belly and Rose to um, to begin the journey of connecting themselves and doing the research. So now that you you've you have the research that others have done, and you've now used that research to help you. So before we go any further, who do you descend? Is this on your paternal side or your maternal line that we we will start talking about more? Sure. Uh, this is on my paternal side, on my dad's side, and it is on the paternal side of his family. So it's on the Rickard side. Uh, my paternal grandparents were um, uh, Harlow, Sadie Louise Harlow, and my grand- that was my grandmother. My grandfather was Wilton, John Wilton Rickard, or Wilton John Rickard. And so this was have been this is on the paternal side in my father's family. So I understand you mentioned belly. So tell us, I mean, how did you learn that you descend from the belly family? Well, uh, as I said, my my cousin Ingrid, when we, the two of us reconnected, it was gangbusters. I mean, we stayed connected. Um, I invited her here to visit me in Texas. She invited me to conferences, and that started to really entice me to want to do more research. I really didn't begin seriously researching for probably about three years, and and then I really, you know, sort of the, the bug bit me, and I began to delve in. But she sent me an article that had come from a book that had a sketch of the Rickard family mausoleum, which is a beautiful white marble structure that's located in a small Catholic cemetery, St. Raphael Cemetery, which is now part of the city of Plaquemine, Louisiana, which is on the left bank or the west bank of the river across from Baton Rouge. 
So she sent me this article with the picture. She said, you know, there's a Rickard family mausoleum. And, um, and she asked me if I knew about it. Well, I didn't. So I, my father was alive at the time, and he was actually a history buff and was just a reservoir of uh, information and trivia about the family. But he, too, was unaware of this mausoleum. So he said to me, well, when you come home for Christmas, we'll go and find it. Because it was said that it was located in a place called Point Pleasant at that time, or Bayou Gula. And none of us knew where that was. <laughs> so we visited that um, um, grave site, and it was just an amazing experience because then, um, you know, I learned about Pierre. Well, I learned about Pierre Belly and Rose through the research that Ulysses had done, but to actually go and visit this grave site of somebody you know, that went back to the Spanish colonial uh, family members that went back to the Spanish colonial period was really um, a, a surreal experience for, for both, for certainly for my dad, but for all of us, for the family, those that visited. So, um, so that's when, you know, in the course of working with my cousin Ingrid, uh, and looking and sh- and having benefited from Ulysses' research, that clued me in on Pierre Belly. But then fast forward several years to about, I think about 2014, the Louisiana chapter of the Sons of the American Revolution went around the state trying to identify graves of patriots. And they identified Pierre Belly's grave as one of those. And a medal was placed on that grave. So, you know, my cousin Ingrid, who stays on top of it, sent me an article uh, sharing that information. And um, so that was the first time that I was made aware that he was a patriot. And uh, so a couple of years later, well, really only three years ago, Ingrid, um, my daughter got married. My daughter Felicia got married. Ingrid came to the wedding, and uh, as well as you, <laughs> you were in attendance there. And Ingrid stayed, and we did some research, and uh, she kept encouraging me, uh, come on, cause, you know, apply to, you know, once we, she realized, we realized that he was a patriot. And I was, a, you know, a little hesitant. Um, I hadn't really thought about doing that, but I decided, she just kept nudging, and I decided, okay, I, you know, I will. And so I reached out to the DAR, and I was contacted by um, the president of the local chapter that I'm now a member of, and she and I met. And over, really over a three-year period, um, I shared with her the research that I had done. She shared with me the, uh, what information I needed to have in place in order to submit my application. And basically, I will say that what you do is you link yourself through your grandparents 
up to that ancestor, up to the patriot. So I had to look birth, death, uh, marriage documents, and other documents that would link me to my ancestor, Pierre Belly. And uh, that, for me, took a three-year period, not because the information was that difficult to find, but, of course, I did run into brick walls, but because I live in Texas now, and I would have to get it, uh, although there's an immense amount of census data and other documents on uh, sites like Ancestry and so forth, family search and those resources, but at some point you have to go and you have to get into the courthouses and you have to research these old documents. So I would have to travel between Dallas and New Orleans. Whenever I'd go home, I would allocate time to do research. And so that was part of what took me, you know, the three-year period to gather the documents that I needed before I could actually feel comfortable that I had what I needed in order to, um, to submit my application. Well, I have two questions for you now, Barbara. First of all, you okay. said that the sons recognize Pierre Belly. So tell us uh, from your research, tell us about the rev- your Revolutionary War Patriot and what battles did he fight in? Okay, yeah, I did say that he was first recognized by the sons, uh, which did not mean an automatic recognition as a patriot by the daughter. They have their own process. And so even though a medal had been placed on his grave, um, he, Pierre Belly was not in the files, if you will, of the daughters. They were not aware or had not at that point recognized him as a patriot. Actually, my application to them and my acceptance acceptance as a member did a couple of things that I think are significant. Besides the fact that, of course, I was able to, you know, become a member, he also, it's like the two of us went in together. He became recognized, officially recognized as an American Revolutionary War Patriot. So that, to me, is a significant achievement. And then the other thing that happened is Pierre Belly uh, um, was a Frenchman, um, and uh, he had six daughters. And so going forward, since with my application, I had to prove that he was a patriot. I was able to do that. So what that did that's significant is it means that anyone, any female who is a descendant of one of his six daughters, and I'll mention the names just so that your listeners will know what those names are uh, uh, in a few minutes, can now apply if they do their research to link themselves to their the daughter that they may be a descendant of, they won't have to prove that he's a patriot. I have done that as the first female to be inducted in the uh, Daughters of the American Revolution under under Pierre Belly. So to talk about Pierre Belly himself, 
Pierre Belly was a Frenchman born in 1738 in um, a place called Bly, France, near the, in the Bordeaux, France area. And he um, um, was first um, documented in Louisiana in about 1774. And I've often wondered why he, what brought him to Louisiana. And I believe, I think I found the answer, uh, because Louisiana at this point was colonized by the Spanish. And there was a King Carlos III or King Charles III that encouraged Spanish people to go to this new territory that they had gotten from France. And he wanted them to plant crops and do um, new crops and really for commerce purposes. And although Pierre Belly was a Frenchman, he uh, ended up in Louisiana. And I believe the reason was because the king, if you went, would give you a land grant. And so I think he saw the opportunity to have land and to build wealth. And so Pierre was, you know, became um, a land grant owner. And what happens when you get land? Back in that era, you needed people to work the land. So he, through a correspondent in Jamaica, um, acquired 30 slaves, and one of whom was a young African girl named, they called her Marie Rose or Rose. And over time, not being naive about the circumstances, however, they did develop a loving relationship. And she had six daughters for him, one of whom was named, the second of the six daughters was Marguerite Antoinette Belly. And my family uh, is a direct descendant of that daughter. And the Rickard name comes in because two of the six daughters married two Rickard brothers. And the Rickard brothers were people of similar um, ethnic uh, ethnicity as well as they were also in similar in terms of their socioeconomic class. And so, um, so as I said, my family is a direct descendant of that particular daughter. But Pierre, um, he actually freed Rose, who was the mother of his six daughters, in 1802, which, as you know, was the year before the Louisiana Purchase. And I'm sure he had promised her her freedom. And I'm also sure that he was actually for um, a couple of years, I think a two or two year period, was a civil judge. He was a lieutenant in uh, the military under this Spanish general, Bernardo de Galvez. And to get to your question about the battles, uh, Bernardo de Galvez, the Spanish general, um, was, was um, they, they were actually successful in the Battle of Baton Rouge, uh, the Battle of um, 
later the uh, the Battle of Manchac, and Manchac is a, a small place, a lake just near Baton Rouge. That's a waterway. If you go through several waterways, you get to the mouth of the Mississippi into the Gulf. So that was important in, in terms of trade. And so um, that was another battle. And then later, the Battle of Mobile and the Battle of Pensacola. And what was really significant about that most people are not aware of about those battles is that at that time frame, the colonies, the British had blockaded all of the ports in the colonies. So they weren't able to get weapons and, you know, clothing and, you know, uh, gunpowder and all of those things. But this Spanish general, although Spain wasn't really all that interested in, um, you know, in helping out the colonies, they were kind of neutral in the area. They, um, they actually ended up getting into it because their king wanted to get back some land that had been seceded to the British in an, in, in earlier bat- battles. Uh, and so the only way he could accommodate the king was because the British were uh, had a stronghold in this uh, Baton Rouge uh, in the Baton Rouge for, in the fort of Baton Rouge, and so uh, he was really a brilliant general and was able to capture the the Baton Rouge the fort of Baton Rouge, which opened up um, the that territory and and you know they were able to be successful in all of these battles and as I said what was so significant about that is people like Benedict Arnold and others were pleading with the Spanish general you know to help them out so that because they weren't able to get supplies but he kept that uh, route southern route open and was able to aid them with supplies, which ultimately helped them to win the American Revolution. But most people don't think about southerners having had that significant, the the South, if you will. It was, you know, a territory at that time and not a state, but playing such a significant role in winning the, uh, the American Revolution. Well, Barbara, you have, I mean, it's great to hear you tell us the history so that we can understand the history, but I know that something else happened with your documentation because you mentioned that Pierre Belly emancipated your seventh-generation great-grandmother, Marie Rose. Now, tell us about the document that described Marie Rose and what he did when he emancipated her. Yes, um, that was pretty eye-opening to me, and um, I'm searching for it to see. Yeah, I was, you know, for a long time, as most of us do, you're suspect about these relationships um, with the slave and slave master. But um, I thought what Pierre Belly did in the emancipation document of Rose really spoke to how he felt about her. 
And um, because, I mean, you could just write a document that says, I give you your freedom. But I'll quote from it just so that you can um, have a sense, because there were several key pieces in this document. One of the first things was that he actually described uh, where she was from. He said that she was believed to be of the Nago Nation, Yoruba, which would have been back in that time, southern Nigeria, Benin. Of course, the lines were redrawn over time, but in that part of the west coast of Africa. And then he says, and I'm going to quote this, um, he says that, um, let's see, be it known to all those who see this document that I, Don Pedro Belli, a retired military officer and inhabitant of this Iberville, Iberville district, declare and state that I am among that I have among my slaves a black woman named Rosa. Um, and then I'm going to move down to where he says, um, let's see, and which arrived in the province in the month of August of the previous year. 1,779, to whom for the much love and caring that I profess for her and for the good services that I have received from her, I declare by the present document that I set free and liberate her from all subjugation, captivity, and servitude, there's a line missing, all this I secede, renounce, and transfer to her so that as a free person she may trade, hire, buy, sell, peer in court, execute written documents and testimonies, and I do all judicial and extrajudicial procedures that those persons who see them can do and do relative to her freedom. And I obligate myself that in all time I hold it to be certain, and according to this document, that I, my inheritors, and my successors will neither contradict nor reclaim in any way whatsoever what we do here. And in case we do this in the slightest way, we will not have to be heard and it will not have to be seen to have it approved or revalidated with all the necessary requirements, adding to it and contract to contract in compliance of which I obligate my person and my material goods which have been seen and enumerated, and I renounce the laws in my favor with the general one that prohibits it, with on whose testimony, you know, he swore this out. Well, to me, this was just, it couldn't have been more powerful a statement of why he emancipated her. And it states that, it was because of the love that he had for her. And I just thought that, you know, this was 
this was the thing that after I read it and reread it, I realized that it was regardless, as I said earlier, to the initial circumstances, it became a relationship where it was a loving relationship. And he also, you know, which further validates it, she inherited a fourth of his estate upon his death. His children did. His daughters shared a fourth, and then his brother and sister each a fourth. They were living in France, and they each inherited um, a fourth. And I really just think emancipation document is just so powerful. You know, it tells where she's from. It tells the fact of how he felt about her. And it, you know, he, he sounded like he wanted to just make it ironclad that it couldn't be reversed, even though it was something that was, um, you know, against his, you know, interest. So I just, it was one of the most um, moving documents that I think I um, have been able to acquire. And just to think, I mean, you mentioned prior to 1976, you really, in Roots, you really hadn't gone that far. And then through a series of circumstances of connecting with people, look what you found. I mean, and this was not in English, am I correct? Right. Oh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. This was written in uh, old Spanish or Castilian Spanish. And in fact, I had given it to a copy of it to a board member, a person on my board who, uh, um, to have him pass it on to a school here in Dallas, um, a, a pretty prestigious private school to see if they could help with the translation of it. And they were unable to translate it. Most people who speak Spanish now um, are uh, unable to trans- translate the Castilian Spanish. So I was fortunate enough, My actually my dad, when he was alive, um, we had my nephew's um, father, who is Nicaraguan. He and his son translated the original document. And then the document I just read from um, a professor at Davies University translated this portion. And both matched the document that I had, my father had translated, and the document that I just read from, which was shared with me from another descendant of a different daughter. Um, Basically, it's the same content. And so that in itself, you know, was amazing. So many of these. And Barbara, where did you get this? Where did you get this uh, document from? Uh, This document was is in the courthouse of Iberville Parish in their little genealogy section where they have all these documents. Uh, actually, my cousin Ingrid shared it with me first, but I have been many times to the Iberville Parish Courthouse, and that the source is, you know, in a conveyance book in that particular parish courthouse. That's why I encourage people if they have the opportunity, especially Louisiana people or people where Catholicism in particular uh, was predominant, 
these records, so many records exist. I was just really astounded by how often these people documented back then everything they did. Because another really interesting document that I came across, which, by the way, was the last document that I submitted to the DAR, which kind of sealed the deal in terms of my uh, uh, approval of my membership, was a declaration that I found in the Abbeville Parish Courthouse uh, where Pierre Belly and Rose Belly, and by the way, she was frequently referred as Rose Belly and as his Jamaican wife. Uh, although there's never been, you know, any uh, unraveling or finding of any marriage document. And it was illegal at that time for, you know, for uh, there to be a marriage between races. So if there was something, it was not the traditional kind of marriage. But, um, but I came across this document, which is an acknowledgement that the six, a declaration and acknowledgement that their six daughters were, um, were the natural children of Pierre Belly and Rose Belly. And that was the last document that I submitted to the DAR before the final approval. Wow. What yes. an amazing journey. What an amazing journey. And so once you were able to document your whole lineage, starting with your father's family and working all the way to Pierre Belly, that sealed the deal for you. Yes, that's what the the process is. Well, in my case, I had to, as I mentioned earlier, prove that he was a patriot. But if your ancestor is already recognized by the daughters or the sons, whichever organization that you may be, you know, interested in applying to, uh, you may not have to do that step. But in my case, I had to prove that he was a patriot. Um, mm-hmm. But basically the task is that once you identify your <clears throat> uh, ancestor as being a patriot, you have to link yourself to that person through um, um, your grandparents, basically. And so I had, you know, started with myself and then my parents and then my uh, grandparents, my great-grandparents, uh, great-great, all the way up the line, that Ricard line. I had to stay on the Ricard line up to the daughter that I'm a descendant of, of Pierre Belly who was Antoinette Belly, and the Rickard name comes in because Antoinette Belly, along with uh, she, married St. Luke Rickard, and two of Pierre Belly's daughters married two Rickard's brothers. So uh, that was the research path that I had to remain focused on. And that was good because it, the application to the DAR forced me to focus on that one line of the family because, you know, you have mm-hmm. a tendency to kind of move around. And so that kept, me, that kept me focused, and I was able to obtain marriage certificates uh, or marriage letters uh, depending on how old they were 
Um, I will say also, just in terms of resources, that the Baton Rouge, uh, the Catholic Diocese of Baton Rouge was absolutely wonderful in terms of assisting me in, in finding either baptismal records or marriage records or um, burial. Not on everybody because, you know, some, but on many and on most. It was just a treasure trove, and they were so beneficial, so helpful. Now, I had more difficulty. I had a little difficulty uh, obtaining my mother's baptismal certificate, and I'd like to share that with you. Um, My mother was baptized or christened at St. Augustine Catholic Church, uh, which is the oldest predominantly black Catholic church in the country um, uh, in the, in the Treme neighborhood in New Orleans. And I suspected that that was where she had been baptized. And I tried to obtain that information from the diocese, the Catholic diocese in New Orleans. And, however, they wrote back to me uh, saying that they were unable to locate those documents. Well, I had actually been there and a few years prior and had gone through, uh, at that time you were allowed to actually go and look at the book, and I was actually to look through the St. Bernard Parish uh, Catholic records as well as some New Orleans Catholic records, and I was able to locate my mother's baptismal um, information, my maternal grandmother, my maternal great-grandmother. I learned new names that I was unfamiliar with, Artieta, because they were, um, they were Spanish people uh, in St. Bernard Parish. And um, so, so I knew that the records were there. Uh, and for some reason, they were unable to locate them. But I was a little, um, a little confused and a little upset about it. So I decided that what I would do was, uh, was that I was going to write the Pope. So <laughs> I researched how to write the Pope, and I wrote the Vatican. I explained who I was and that my family had been Catholic since the 18th century in Louisiana, what I, was, what I needed the information for. I discussed the fact that uh, I had been told that Louisiana had a law that you had to be, a person had to be dead 100 years. And I was told this by the Catholic Diocese in New Orleans before baptismal records were shared or released and 50 years on burial. And so I said, well, you know, even if that is the law, I, um, there's separation between church and state in the United States, so I don't understand why I can't have access to the sacramental records, which is what I was seeking. So I um, ended up, as I said, writing the Pope. And then a few, um, a few months later, I went to my mailbox and I saw an envelope from the Catholic Diocese in New Orleans. And in that envelope was my mother's baptismal certificate. And in the meantime, I had actually decided on a visit that I would go to the Bureau of Vital Statistics there where you get your uh, civil uh, birth record 
And for about $17, I was able to obtain that record. And those were very important records, critical records to my application. And so that's what made me kind of go a little further, you know, all the way to the Vatican, if you will, to uh, uh, make sure I had access to that information. Well, Barbara, you really have had one interesting journey. And so before we close out, do you have any closing comments for anyone that may have traced their ancestry and they're thinking about joining uh, Daughters of the American Revolution or just anyone that's a Louisiana researcher and you want to know where you should go? Do you have any, any advice to give people before we close out? Um, yeah, a couple of things. Um, I will say that I came across a document, and it's called Spain's Louisiana Patriots in its 1779 through 1783 war with England during the American Revolution, and it's part six in its Spanish board, borderland studies by Granville W. and N.C. H-O-U-G-H. And within this document, um, I I can't remember exactly where I found it. I don't know if I found it in the library or if I got it online. But that document contains hundreds of names of people who fought in in the Louisiana uh, militia or under General Bernardo de Galvez and what's known as the Galvez Expedition. So I would say that if you think you have an ancestor, or if you want to know if you have an ancestor that participated in the American Revolution, that would be a good resource to locate to see if the name is listed. And then secondly, I would encourage people to um, own their relatives who did this. Because our relatives, even though this was my French relative, um, our relatives participated in the making in the independence of the United States from England. And, you know, you, we should celebrate that. I think that's an important thing. And um, I will also say that this is a great time to um, at least begin to focus on genealogy. I mean, we're sheltered in, we're trying to be safe, you know, we, uh, so, that, so many of us uh, have time to spend in working on this kind of project. So I would encourage people to do it from that perspective. Um, and, of course, I just hope everyone stay safe and healthy and heed the guidelines. Um, use your common sense about going out or not going out too soon until, you know, we um, uh, are able to actually have real safety in this country and really around the world in terms of, you know, what we face with the, um, the COVID-19 uh, virus. But it is... Um, it's a beautiful way to really, um, re, I guess, 
to rewrite our own history. And it's amazing what is available in the courthouses. I, I look forward to the time when we will be able to go back in the courthouses, in libraries, to do this research. And it's fun, and it's something that will bring families together. Um, and I just encourage people to embrace it because if, if we're going to overcome many of the obstacles that we face um, in the country and in the world, it will be through rebuilding or uh, uh, redefining who we are as a people. And we can do this through genealogy. So that would be my message. Kind of long, but that would be my message. <laughs> and another message, I think, would be for you to tell your story in writing. And so, Barbara, I look forward to that book or that article <laughs> or whatever you're putting out in writing so that you will now leave a legacy so that others who are descendants of Pierre Belly and Rosemarie, they will already have that documentation because you will have been the one to write the book and tell the story. So I want to just thank you so much, Barbara, for sharing everything that you have gone through to connect your patriot ancestor. And, hey, let's just keep talking when we get off the phone. <laughs> have a great day, everyone. <laughs> Oh, thank you so thank much, you, Barbara. Bernie. Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed okay. it. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.